Have you ever wanted to talk to a complete stranger? Somebody on the bus, in class, at the grocery store? Not just to hit on them, but just to talk? Have a moment. Here's something real. And here's a chance to do that. This is Story Talk, the conversation you've never heard. And today's conversation, hope. I'm Kim Lamar, Story Talk producer, and your host today. Uh, I mean, usually I just cry. I can't stop. I just yeah. cry so much. And I would call my brother or see him, and he know like, I'm a crier. Like <laughs> this is Gudam. She's an international student at the University of Montana from Chad. The thing more than anything else that Cheryl does for me is she gives me an eye roll. <laughs> when I'm taking myself too seriously or fretting or getting nervous, she's just, Tobin, get over yourself. That's Tobin. He's an associate professor of history and the director of the African American Studies program at the University of Montana. Finding hope meant finding the ability to live. And that's William C. Riley. He's a senior at the University of Montana studying anthropology and English. He's a part of the Story Talk team. And I'm hosting this week, so you'll hear me too. Let's get started. What does hope mean to you? I think for me, um, hope is that light that makes all the dark times worth it. Um, it's the thing I look forward to and the thing that I try to create as much as I can, that there's something better out there, despite all of the um, crap that we deal with and we see and we interact with on a daily basis. When I think of hope, I think of the realization of our dreams and any expectation we have that something's going to be better than what it is now because so often it's not like we wish it would. Uh, yeah, I agree with you guys too. Uh, I think of hope the same way. And uh, as something positive, that um, something would happen even though there is not much base that is gonna happen. And I, I am Christian, so from my belief, I believe that uh, things will be happening in the future for me. Uh, whether it's realistic or not, I have just a strong uh, positive thought that it's going to happen. Well, I guess leading into that then, um, what do you all hope for in the future? Can you think of either your life or just, you know, everyone in general, what are things you hope to see or experience in the future? Um, Yeah, there are so many things I'm hoping for. Uh, I haven't been... I have been uh, in Missoula for about eight years and a half, and I haven't been back home since 2007. Oh, no. So one of my big hope now is to be able to go back home and, and see my family again and my uh, cousins and also just see what I can be helpful for in the community because uh, I came here when I was younger and I got to grow up a lot and I, I learned a lot and people asked me so many questions about my country that I didn't think about before that now is opening my mind into uh, ways 
that I can help at home. So I have to use a strong hope to go home soon and be able to to see uh, answer to those questions that I am asked consistently that I can't really answer from here. Mm. So that's my big hope for now. And where's home? Chad. And what, what part of Chad? Uh, in, in the south, I am from the okay. south. Mm-hmm. Uh, the south, that's my dad's village, and my mom is Dodang. But I grew up in the capital, in Jamena. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what kind of questions would people ask you then about your home when you first moved here? Uh, they ask me about, uh, I mean, yeah, it's for sure about the weather, about, <laughs> <laughs> about the food, about... Um, my family about like the different culture about our dances mm-hmm. about like they, they ask me and I said oh yeah I, I mean people are familiar with Western Western African dance here but not really with my country which we usually dance with our shoulder and I didn't think about it before but people ask me like why do you dance with shoulders and I said I don't know because <laughs> <laughs> so for me I, I mean I didn't grow up dancing so I didn't really know about like why like dance each part of the body been something when you make move so those kind of questions like there are so many questions about the culture about different things that we do that I didn't know before that now when I go home I should ask or go to the village and ask why we do things like this or that. Mm-hmm. I know like for me um, the things that I hope for is um, for continued acceptance for people who are LGBT and, and um, to re- find a time when we can remove the stigma of being other like there's nothing wrong with being other um, and, um, you know, personally, just for me, just continuing to grow in my family dynamic and, like, finding new people to love. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I find a lot of um, benefit to myself um, in just loving people. Mm-hmm. So um, I have a very big kind of adopted family of friends. Um, and we just kind of create this big circle of, you know, people who care about each other and support each other. So. Um, I look forward to and hope uh, to continue to meet new people that can become part of that family. So I think over time, my expectations about the future and hence my expectations about hope have become smaller, but I think also a bit more robust. So for a while I worked leading, uh, co-leading a national anti-racism training collective and in the midst of that, at points I'd think, we're going to do it. We are going to change the very nature of the racial fabric of this nation. From our, our base in the Mennonite Church, we're going to go across the country, and we're actually going to end racism. Mm-hmm. I don't think that anymore. Um, but I do have hope that I'm going to be able to be part of equipping students to talk with eloquence and insight about race, to make a difference in their lives um, that they wouldn't have otherwise had a chance to do if they hadn't taken part in one of my classes. But that's a small hope. It's not a big hope anymore. So maybe I'm just becoming a curmudgeon as I grow older. But, Were there uh, things that made you change mm-hmm. your, your sense of what you wanted in the future? Well, I think it was just the failures that we encountered in the midst of the institutions we were trying to change that a lot of those attempts 
didn't pan out. I mean, we can trace now and note some changes, mm -hmm. but they're still white-dominated. There's still stories of racism coming out of those institutions, and that was despite a lot of effort, a lot of pain that went into trying to change them. Mm -hmm. So it's, like I said, small hope, but I think it's more robust simply because it's realistic in a way it hadn't been for me before, I think. Are there things, and this is to everybody, is there things that you do to when you encounter um, challenges that you do to kind of re reinvigorate or reignite your sense of hope? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, definitely do that. Um, yeah, I, I like to like read my Bible when I feel down or uh, like, I mean, being away from home, sometimes there are those moments where you feel just like, uh, just really home, uh, uh, that emptiness and don't know why, but I think it's because of not being home for a long time or around like family. But yeah, I, I do read my Bible or I just go to my brothers or call my cousin, my nephew or my friends, just like go to be around them and just not feel that like I'm alone or I'm feeling uh, hopeless or just talk, talk to people, help yeah. a lot too. Mm -hmm. Every time I step into a classroom, particularly on the first day of semester, my hope battery gets recharged. Now, admittedly, about three quarters <laughs> yeah. of the way through when students aren't doing the readings that I've assigned them and they're, not everyone is getting an A, that recharge gets a little tapped out. But every opportunity I get to work with students is a way that renews my hope constantly. What's the biggest hope, Tobin, that you hope for students to take away from your classes? Obviously, I'm sure you teach different subjects and things, but what's kind of a number one hope that you hope students take away from having a class with you? Hmm. Well, I think it has mu as much to do with process as content. I mean, I hope that they'll leave, particularly the white students in my classes, having a sense that there's more to life, there's more mm -hmm. to the history of this country than they've previously been taught. That there's a history of resisting racism, there's a history of people who have bubbled up from the underside of history and found ways to challenge the prevailing order, and that they can be a part of that. But then in terms of process, I love to see the growth in my students as they move to someone who possibly accepts what's giving them into class in classes to when they challenge me and say, how do you know that? How is that true? I, I want to know more. And we have debates and that's pretty mm -hmm. exciting to move from, to see students move from being passive to being active, critical thinkers. I think, you know, as a student, obviously I'm not necessarily teaching anything, but I think I kind of go into a lot of my classes the same way. Being an older student um, and being a non-traditional student, um, I love having those moments for myself where, like, something that I thought was always true is challenged. Mm -hmm. But I also really love watching younger people have those moments too. Like there's just something really gratifying of watching um, people learn and to change and to be challenged and what happens after that challenge. Um, you know, whether it's 
something that they're experiencing in their personal life mm-hmm. um, where, you know, maybe they've had a relationship end and like figuring out how to be a person that's not in a relationship or whether it's in a class where they were thinking one way and then um, having it completely turn around. Um, I know I saw a lot of that in like my uh, women's gender, uh, some of my women's and gender studies classes um, where you have like a man who's never really even thought about um, how privileged men can be mm-hmm. to like suddenly realize like, oh, I want to do something to help. I want to make sure that that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Or people who are white who don't even think about like, you know, when they say flesh colored on a Band-Aid, it is not everyone's flesh color. <laughs> like, yeah. um, you yeah. know, and, and to have people suddenly go, oh, I want to make a difference. I want to change something. That's awesome. So I'm wondering for the two yeah. of you as students, what's the most hopeful class you've ever taken? Um, mm. Honestly, the one that uh, I'm taking right now, it's on um, society and culture. And it sounds really strange because um, oftentimes what it is is a lot about um, hate and genocide. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a really strange place to come from hope. Um, but... Um, my, my professor, my anthropology professor, is like, if you can stand humans after this class, you're doing pretty good. Because it's, <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it's about terrorism, and it's about um, ethnogenocide, and, and um, you know, xenophobia, mm-hmm. and all of the things that we do to create our identity. But it's also how important that identity is to people, and mm-hmm. how you can help foster connecting people if you can find a common ground and you can find stories that that they can share, that they can create a shared identity, you know, Mm -hmm. out of all of that. Um, And I think that that's, like I said, it sounds like a weird place Mm -hmm. for me, um, sometimes trying to explain it, but it's actually been incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a a class that I took that was most hopeful for me was a development class. I don't remember exactly the title, but it's an economic class, and we were just studying uh, different countries, um, African countries, Europe, or or, uh, American, and just study why some countries are more developed than others, or the North is more developed than the South in some places. And uh, I mean, it was, it was a really interesting class and uh, also heartbreaking to know about mm. the history of why some African countries are still the way uh, we are. But it was hopeful to at least know the truth. And it's, it's a great place to start to know the truth. And then from there, uh, there can be changes. So uh, I hope and I have, I have hope and I, I am optimistic that there will be great changes in many African countries in the future. Because, um, I mean, some people are tired of what's, what are happening and the corruptions in some places and it's how it is difficult to be done with school but not be able to really find a job that you want and things like that. I mean, there are also many great things, too, that um, should mention. But uh, on the other side, yeah, that was a really uh, class that was like eye-opening and also uh, 
to light some hope in. What's yeah. fascinating, because I think both of you just articulated a really profound insight into the nature of hope, and that authentic hope is grounded not in false reality, it's grounded in really difficult reality, mm -hmm. the yeah, kind of realities yeah. you both just described. Mm -hmm. And I think there's such thing as inauthentic or false or candified hope, mm -hmm. but you've just described a much more authentic hope that's um, grounded in some pretty difficult situations. Yeah, yeah I, I think you're right. I think... You know, there's the childlike hope um, of this vision of the future that, because we haven't, we're naive and we haven't really experienced um, life. And so, you know, there's sunshine and rainbows and everything's going to be okay. Um, and I don't know that that's necessarily realistic, but it certainly makes you feel good as a yeah, kid, yeah, you know. Yeah. But I think as an adult, the hope that you find is sometimes the one you manufacture in knowing that sometimes things aren't okay. Yeah. And that's, that's okay in and of itself. Like, there's, there's bad stuff that happens. Um, and it's the, the hope that you generate is so much more genuine because you need something. Yeah. You need that light to make it and to go yeah. to the next day. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned kids because uh, it's amazing how the way kids are, they just are... Uh, so innocent and see hope everywhere where like as adults we we, found, we think so much about like everything else like about like oh what could go wrong and things like that I mean personally sometimes I think that way <laughs> when it's so much yeah. but I love like the way think, uh, kids think because sometimes I love when like <coughs> they have also so much uh, trust in their parents like between them when they play they are like oh my dad would buy me that for me what things like that without even knowing like what their dad is making what their parents are making yeah. but they just have so much hope that they will have those things that as adult i would think first okay how much am i making how uh, how many hours i'm working think of all those things first before thinking like oh i can have this thing so, yeah, yeah, I love, sometimes I, I bring kids in my mind to remember, especially my nephew. Uh, he was just a few months old when I came here, and I grew up, uh, he grew up while I like, have been here, and I just, I'm learning from him, like, see how he, the way he thinks and how he's innocent and mm -hmm. how he has hope that all things would be, like, great. Mm -hmm. So, that's mm -hmm. good. Yeah, it's nice hearing, I don't know, all your different perspectives perspectives, um, and whatnot that I took an intercultural communication mm -hmm. class with Phyllis Nye here at the university. And I just feel like if everyone, for me, it was weird because I took that class online when I studied abroad in Spain. And I thought, I'm really not going to like an online class, but I knew her beforehand, so it was nice to have that connection. But for me, that is one of the most rewarding classes I've had because... Mm -hmm just learning about other cultures and mm -hmm. how other people communicate and why. I just think if people had more of an understanding of different cultures and people, but how we are all connected, that mm -hmm. maybe, you know, we wouldn't have as much racism as we have and yeah. people would just be be more understanding. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, that's true because I, I think when we are all around each other and we... We spend time together, we just realize, oh, we are all people. We are, like, have the same struggle. We are, mm -hmm. uh, we have the same needs. It's just, it's easier to 
to be less judgmental about the other people than when we are away and we don't know anything that is going on in their life. Everybody has their own personality which makes life beautiful, but basically we are all people. Yeah. When is a time that hope has failed you all? That, you know, we've, hope is a pretty positive mm -hmm. thing. We've talked about it in kind of a positive light. But when's the time that you were hopeful and that hope failed you? I think um, it's not so much that it failed me uh, per se, but, um, you know, I had a, I am a big dreamer. Um, I dream big. <laughs> People who know me know that I dream big. Um, and I think um, it's when reality suddenly slaps those dreams down mm -hmm. that can feel. So for me, um, coming into um, GLI and the university um, experience, part of what I wanted was to be able to go study in Ireland. Um, and the original plan was for a year. My husband had a good job. I had a good job. Um, and we knew that um, things were pretty stable. He could take care of things here. I could go there, you know, have this wonderful experience, come back. And we were getting everything set up, and then he lost his job. Mm -hmm. um, and so all of my dreams, all of my hopes, everything that I mm -hmm. had kind of come into the GLI process to do suddenly kind of got pulled out from underneath me. Um, and, you know, we were like, well, you know, Maybe you'll only be down for a little bit. You'll have a job again. And, you know, maybe instead of a year, I could go over for a semester or, mm -hmm. you know, or maybe a winter. And it seemed like every time we'd set, you know, try to set some money aside um, to try to build things up, something would happen. He ended up being without a job for a year. It took mm -hmm. everything we had in savings to kind of make everything work, um, trying to, like, balance working full time and going to school and trying to take care of both of us here. Um, and we literally had $100 left in our savings account mm -hmm. when he finally got his job, mm -hmm. you know, a, a new job. And it was minimum wage. It was not something that he'd be able to really support himself if I were to leave. Um, and so it was more the, the, the big dream that then suddenly kept getting pulled away that, you know, I, and then it was... Am I, why am I even in school? Like, why am I even putting myself through this debt? Like, why am I doing this to myself when I could have just kept my job and kept working and never had any of these experiences? Yeah. I, it's interesting. Well, I relate to that, but on a different, you know, I was able to study abroad and I went to Spain, but I think I was really hopeful of like, this is going to be the best experience of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm so ready to leave. You know, I hope to meet amazing people and have this, <laughs> that, even though I did go abroad and I'm very thankful for that, it was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Um, just like not meeting as many people as I thought I would and just feeling kind of alone and isolated at time, at times. But I think it's interesting because even though I hoped for like just this experience where I was having fun and an amazing time every day, even though it was really hard, I think it only made, now I realize, for a better experience in like the way that I grew or what mm -hmm. I took away from it. Um, and the things I became grateful for at home and also now being here, things I'm grateful for back in Spain that I wasn't so you know, grateful for at the time. So I think it's interesting that whether your hopes do come true or not, it can be hard on either spectrum. And I mm -hmm. think you learn and can take away from, mm -hmm. you know, kind of either things working out or not working out. Yeah. 
Well, I'm remembering when I left this national position I had uh, directing African American uh, anti-racism collective, and it was part of my own spiritual journey in that I had felt called, to use my community's religious language, to step down from this job, and I didn't have another job in front of me. So I finally found this little position graciously offered to me by a member of our congregation to work for his nonprofit packaging CDs of Amish and Mennonite sacred music. So I went from traveling around the country, leading workshops for universities, meeting and sitting down with presidents of colleges, and there I am in the attic of a barn in an Amish field looking out at the Amish man with his horses, and I'm packaging CDs. So on top of that, I had said, okay, well, I'm going to go to grad school. I figured out I wanted to do that. So I sent all these applications around. Didn't get into any of them. It How was old just, were you, Tobin? At that point, I would have been in my uh, early 30s. Sounds about right. Yeah, so it was a mid-career shift. Here I was this white guy, and I just thought, <laughs> what's going to happen? It's horrible. And it would felt absolutely hopeless because I felt called to step out of this job as a hopeful thing, as a positive thing, and there was nothing there. Hmm. And then it's got a, you know, the hope turned for me when a mem- another member of our congregation saw how despondent I was, took me out to a movie, and then we went to McDonald's for ice cream sundaes afterwards, and he said, Tobin, you have to try again. He said, uh, you, you would make a great professor, um, don't stop. So I went about the process in a whole different way, I had a much better guidance, and long story short, I was eventually able to get into grad school and get the job here at the university. But at the time, that's the thing about hope, all you've got is the hope, and when it's particularly made fragile by loss, Mm-hmm. It's difficult to trust it. <coughs> Sorry. It's a great question. Yeah. What about you? Um, it was like about a year and a half after I came here because I didn't speak English. I was learning. Uh, so there was just so much transition. And uh, and then I was stay at staying at my brother's, but it was like half year, year one year and half later. And I, uh, I mean, I had to find a place to stay, and I was uh, it was just a, a difficult like transition for me because uh, in the African culture it's different, especially in my country it's different. Like we are usually live like. Um, big family, we stay together even with extended family. So that was a big change for me. Uh, and t- thanks God, there was uh, David and Rosalie Kate, they accepted to have me stay with them for uh, until figuring things out. And they were like, don't worry about the rent or the food. So they had me as the family. And it was such uh, mm-hmm. a, a huge. Um, uh, something that is really like uh, really um, uh, I really like I don't know I'm so thankful for it I don't really have words for it but um, yeah those difficult moments are really uh, humbling like sometimes mm-hmm. it's just difficult to know like what to think during those moments or 
uh, what to say or what to do. I don't know. So I think I was um, a little bit uh, closed on myself and just spent so much time and not have to like, I don't know, show the struggle so much. So, uh, but I'm glad it's over. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I think that's part of life. There are some time that um, those moments come and I think it's, it's part of like make, make me or make us grow or learn yes. something from there or become better. That's how I think of it now. Mm. And uh, for sure, I hope for um, for many great things, but I think with every great things or with every changes, there are also difficulties that test our, like, uh, test us to to see how we are gonna handle those moments. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's gonna be coming in the future. I expect things to be uh, coming that I'm not uh, prepared for. Yeah, absolutely. That, so what would you all say then to um, people who don't feel like they have hope, or I don't know if you are talking with family members or friends mm-hmm. who just feel hopeless and stuck in a rut or are going through a difficult time. What's a way to gain hope or to bring hope um, into someone's life who doesn't feel like they don't feel like they have any? Or again, when you're in those ruts, how do you gain that hope again? Because it can kind of be this thing of going up and having a lot Mm -hmm. of hope, right? But then like something happens and you're like, oh, I have no hope. This is difficult. It's hard. And then how do you go, you know, from that kind of up and down uh, momentum of hope? For me, I think the thing that I have said is take my hand. Um, It's the strongest symbol I can give to somebody to say that I believe in you. And I will help. I've had some horrible things happen in my life. I have experienced doubt. I have tried to commit suicide. Um, And so I will be right there beside you and help you however I can. Yeah, I think I would find that response far more moving and reassuring than someone who gave me platitudes and simply said, well, when God shuts a door, God opens a window (laughs) or anything in that sort of realm because it doesn't always happen that way. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm a historian. I know that's not the story of human history in many cases. Sometimes it is, but I think which make, I think what makes those moments possible when it is hopeful is doing exactly what you just described, Will, is when people have simply said, I'll be with you, and offered it more as a reassurance, but in concrete ways. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what make, gives me hope when someone is there for me in their corner, in our, in our corner. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, personally, like I mentioned before, uh, uh, I uh, I believe in uh, my Bible, so that's one thing I turn to when I like absolutely feel hopeless, and also um, talk to someone that you really trust and someone that you know that will just you know say even the little things that will uh, light hope in you and help you to you know. Uh, face the day and make it through the day and and keep going. Uh, so that was one thing that w- was really helpful for me when I go through uh, difficult times. And 
and we are really know that uh, you know we are uh, we have a strength in us we are uh, powerful God put the strength in us and look at look at those even if it's so difficult look that yeah I can do something even I can be you know of help to someone even you know just there is always someone who need me or need you if you feel like you there is no hope and like when I came here, one thing that I liked here was volunteer, because it's, it's one thing that is really common in this country. And I did a lot, and I, I really like to go out and help people and be like, oh yeah, someone is appreciating this time that I am giving them. And that takes my mind off whatever is like uh, occupying my mind. So that's one thing that helped me too. So, um, yeah, it can be really difficult, but uh, find one thing that can like be uh, give you joy and do it, and that helps to go through the difficult time. Well, your story reminds me of a story that a man by the name of Will Campbell once told me. So I was asked to preach a sermon. This is years and years ago when our mm -hmm. boys were little, and I chose to preach on the topic of hope. And I set myself the goal in 30 days, I was going to ask 100 people, what gives you hope? Mm -hmm. So I asked people on the street, there's, give me odd looks, <laughs> what's this guy doing? Yeah. Sometimes they wouldn't answer. I asked my elected representatives, old teachers of mine. Anyhow, I called up this author I had a lot of respect for. His name's Will Campbell. He's written on a lot of racial themes. He's a, he was, he's no longer with us, uh, passed away a couple years ago but he was a sort of a renegade Baptist pa pastor, really irreverent, but fascinating figure. Yeah. Anyhow, I asked the, the question to him. I called him up on the phone, he talked with me, and this is the story he told me. He said, so I live in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, in the mountains, and in my little neighborhood, there's white folks and black folks. And he said, there's two kinds of white folks that live in our neighborhood. Some of them are the liberal, well-meaning, well-intentioned folk who would never use a racial epithet where just had said everything right. Mm. And he said, then there were my, my other white neighbors who would occasionally use racial epithets. Um, I won't repeat them here, but you know what I mean. And uh, the, white, the white liberal folks absolutely looked down on the, uh, they, were, they were poorer white folks. He said, well, we had a... Uh, ice storm one winter, and I noticed that my white liberal neighbors were huddled in their houses, refusing to go out and help anyone around them. He said, but the poor white neighbors got on their tractors, got coal, got milk, and delivered them to all the neighbors, all the white neighbors and all the black neighbors. Yeah. And he said, so you know who gave me more hope, don't you? It was those who didn't know what to say, but did know what to do. Yeah, it's, It sounds like kind of a theme with all of you when asking about, you know, how you gain hope again is just not being alone, just mm -hmm, feeling like mm -hmm. you have someone else there. So, um, you know, like you were saying that having faith, so whether you have faith and you feel like maybe like God's with you or having friends and family you feel like you mm -hmm. can talk to, it sounds like by just having other people or being able to empathize with other people, have someone on your level, 
people you can connect with on a deep level mm-hmm. is something that is obviously very important because being alone, you yeah. yeah, I mean, I think for me, like, the, the time that I felt most hopeless was when I thought I was alone. When mm-hmm. I thought, yeah. you know, yeah. it, like, mm-hmm. I had been out of the closet since I was 16, and um, five years later was when I tried to commit suicide, and, and I hated myself. Even though I was out, I hated everything about me. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, for a lot of reasons, I thought I was broken. I thought my parents didn't really, I wasn't getting the truth from them that they really cared. Um, I didn't feel like my friends really cared. I felt and I created this loneliness. Mm-hmm. And um, it was in the moment of committed, like attempting to commit suicide when I came, like woke up in a bathtub full of cold water. Um, that I, you know, I, instead of cutting myself where I thought I was going to, I ended up um, cutting my arm, and I actually have a tattoo that marks that, that reminds me um, every day that something chose to keep me around. Yeah. And it was in that moment that I started to learn to love me and learn to love other people and reach out and be vulnerable and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that... I don't have to be alone. Yeah. Um, and that was the moment that really created hope in me, um, mm-hmm. was when I let go of all of that hate. Yeah. And when I let go of mm-hmm. all of the anger that I had at myself and everything that had happened and learned how to love myself. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great you said uh, be vulnerable because sometimes, I don't know, you try to like fight that and it makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think there is nothing about showing how vulnerable we are sometimes. Like, uh, I mean, usually I just cry, I can't stop. I just yeah. cry so much and I will call my brother or see him and he know like I'm a crier, like something. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I, 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 it helps me to relieve. So I call him or he knows that when I'm gonna, going to cry. And um, it's, I just feel okay being vulnerable in front of him. Like he saw me, <laughs> saw me so many times and I don't care much anymore. Or I would call my cousins or my mom, my sister. And yeah, it, just being uh, yourself and then accept that is a, is a great step to like handle those difficulties mm-hmm. and also have hope. Uh, not alone, but we've all surrounded with all the people. Mm-hmm in our lives. Yeah, it's very profound. That, so who is the most hopeful person in your life? Maybe someone who gives you hope or you, you know, respect and look at and think, wow, you know, that person gives me hope for whatever they do. Um, That I know when I studied abroad in Spain and I was feeling really alone at times and wasn't really making a lot of friends at first, that I had a Russian and Spanish roommate and... Mm -hmm. (laughs) My Russian roommate, she had immigrated to Spain when she was like 10, so she spoke perfect Spanish. But for me, when I was abroad, Alina gave me hope because, you know, she came from a really hard life and background in Russia, immigrated with her mom to Spain. Her mom was a single parent raising her, but, you know, she was just always so positive and cheerful and always kind of just pulled me out of my rut, whatever, you know, whether it was just going out or talking to me and hanging out and so for me, she just gave me a lot of hope when I was just feeling really alone when I first went to Spain of just being a friend and being there and 
who knew a Russian and an American could be mm-hmm. come such good friends, you know, it wasn't what I was yeah. expecting, I guess. Yeah. But um, yeah, so for me, you know, that's someone or an example of that of someone who gave me hope and just really was what I needed during a difficult time. Um, yeah, what about you all? Um, me, it's my mom. Uh, she's she's just like just a strong, uh, just like quiet person, but also she has something strong in her. So um, she gives me a lot of hope, and also my brother here kind of has her uh, personality. So he's like the closest to my mom here um, when it comes to hope. Okay, I'll let the next person talk. <laughs> it's okay. okay. Um, I think for me, it's my family. Like, my, my husband is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, we just celebrated our 12th anniversary last Saturday, uh, even though I wasn't in town. Um, I was stuck at a conference. Um, but, um, you know, I even even after everything that had happened, you know, I still felt like I wasn't really going to find somebody. Um, and I think a lot of that had mm-hmm. to do with the way that media portrays gay men as being very not looking like me, you know, very skinny, mm-hmm. very, you know, athletic and, and things like that. And so you get driven this idea that, you know, you're not beautiful. You're not what other people think are beautiful. Um, so I kind of res- res- resigned that I would always be the friend, but never really find love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my husband... I, I won't bore you with the details, but, um, you know, we met and it was absolutely that moment of love at first sight. Mm-hmm. Um, we, the reason we celebrate the anniversary now and not when, based on our marriage anniversary is because it's the moment that we met and we just knew huh. in that moment mm-hmm. that there was just something that was really profound. And <clears throat> when I have self-doubt, um, he always, I, I try to shoulder as much as I can and I, I, I'm don't open up about some things with him that I should soon enough. And he's like, just tell me, because together we can figure it out, you know. And it's it's a fight because uh, I like to talk, I like to share, but I'm always worried that I'm going to worry him. And I'll, 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 I'll shoulder that as long as I can. Mm-hmm. And um, when I just can't shoulder it anymore, like, he is my rock. He is my strength. He's the one that, like, pull your head out of it, let's Mm -hmm. go, you know, we'll figure it out, let's talk through it, let's, um, and, you know, he can make the worst day amazing Mm -hmm. just by smiling. Well, like Will, I also would first turn to my spouse. We've been married for uh, 29 years, Mm. uh, coming up on our 30th. But... uh, the thing more than anything else that Cheryl does for me is she gives me an eye roll <laughs> when I'm taking myself too seriously or fretting or getting nervous. She says, Tobin, get over yourself now. Um, I had the privilege of being his mentor when he was first starting in the anti-racism field, and now he, he's gone far beyond me. He's uh, leading demonstrations, helping organize demonstrations. Right now they're working to... And the, I think it's the building of a new, or a proposed building of a new incarceration facility that would effectively put many more young men and women of color in jail. And he's out there with his granddaughter and his daughter uh, demonstrating against this. And he's involved in all these anti-racism groups. And 
knowing he's out there doing what he's doing gives me great hope. Mm -hmm. Well, I hope. Um, to can I come back to it? Because yeah. I didn't yeah. finish, sorry. But I don't know, I get, become emotional sometimes when I talk about my mom. So uh, You haven't seen her in a long time. I didn't see her until last year. They came from my graduation, oh, so I didn't nice. see them for 11 years, no, 8 years. So that was the longest time I didn't see my parents before mm. uh, I saw them. Uh, so yeah, I sent my mom, my brother, uh, who lives here, and I, I have three brothers and two sisters, and they all inspired me in different ways. And also one uh, person that I really um, gave me hope here, uh, especially in the academic, was Effie Cohen. Uh, there was, uh, so when I was going through that transition, I was uh, considering dropping off or, uh, I mean, half the semester off, because I was just hopeless. It was like, oh, it's going to be even difficult to continue the semester fi financially wise and things like that. And I went to talk to her to uh, take the semester, uh, if I could have the semester off, because we talked about it with my brother, and I went to see her, and she was like, oh, no, we can figure out something for you. And she helped look at different uh, financial aid and helped me, and she has spent uh, a lot of help, like whenever uh, for different semester, if there is a scholarship coming up, she will encourage me to apply or let me know of different uh, ways that I could pay for the semester. And she has been of a lot of help uh, during my school years here. Because, I mean, I came from a big family, so it was difficult to like finance for all the children, especially at the university level. So my parents, uh, I mean, they supported us all those years, and it became difficult now that they were getting close to their retirement when I mm. came here. Uh, so yeah, those, and then my friends, there are so many also friends that inspired me, like Noela or Matt, uh, just different. So many people that inspired me in different ways. What role does hope play in your everyday life? <laughs> so do you feel like you are hopeful every day, day to day, hopeful for different things, or is there kind of a trending theme of hope um, that you face, that you, that you see every day in your life? I think for me, like, um, I think, like, like I mentioned, I mean, hope for me is about family and things, so, um, you know, I get to interact with my friends and my, my, my friends mm -hmm. who are family mm -hmm. fairly often. Um, you know, I have people on campus that are in that role. So when I'm feeling like I need a little <clears throat> a little pick-me-up, um, I can go in and I can see them and I can talk to them and get a hug, um, which are, you know, incredibly important to me. Um, does it play in every single day? Not necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think there's some days where you're just like, it's a Monday, it's a Tuesday, whatever, you know, I just need to get through the day. Um, and then there's some days where you wake up and you're just like, can I, I want to, I want to just hide under the covers. I just kind of want to hide in my cave. Um, but I know that I have to go to school. I have, I have a paper I have to do. I have this, I have this. Um, and so those people are really, really important to make it through those days. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I describe myself as a quotidian 
hopeful person. I'm not hopeful every day. I think I'm grounded in that small hope I have I talked about earlier. And again, it comes back to sitting down at dinner with my family, having conversations with students, working with colleagues, um, doing what's with what for me is meaningful. And I think there's a connection there for me between the amount of hope I'm feeling and the amount of work I'm doing that feels meaningful. And that, that's a pretty close connection for me. Uh, yeah, same here as you guys. It's not every day that I am hopeful. Um, it, it, it's, it's different every day. Uh, there are some days that is yeah, it's just difficult to get out and and uh, like go to work and do everything that I need to do for the day and um, yeah, it's 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 not the same every day. But but then sometimes I there are I am excited about the fact that oh I'm gonna see this person during the day or I'm gonna see my boyfriend Matt or I'm gonna see my family or I'm gonna see I'm gonna do this at work see my coworker. so it depends it's different every day so I have to like remember something or someone who gets me uh, give me more hope for the day I'm remembering now one of the most hopeful things I've done in the past eight years I was out here a year ahead of time uh, before Cheryl and our sons came out so the boys could finish up high school. And I was just a wreck. I was not doing well by myself at all. So over winter break when I was back home, one of my friends at our church said, oh, you just have to do something about it. He said, invite people over to your house okay. for a meal. I said, all right, I'll, I'll try this. So I went back and I invited sort of a random selection of people I'd met while I was here. And I said, I'm tired of eating meals by myself. Would yeah. you eat a meal with me once a week? I'll do all the cooking if needed, but just show up and eat with me, please. So this group about six started, and they thought all th now say it was a little bit weird, a little bit awkward, but they came back again the next week. <laughs> and we've been meeting as a supper club in various iterations now for eight years running. Um, and we now eat, no, I don't do all the cooking. We take turns at uh, different house every week but we haven't run out of things to talk about and we mm -hmm. all talk about mm -hmm. that act of eating around a table just yeah. having conversation as one of the things that gives us hope that gives us energy that gives us yes. renewal on yeah. a weekly yeah. basis yeah that's a good thing you mentioned that i didn't realize but yes i i love to cook and mm -hmm. sometimes i would just cook and have a lot of friends over or just call and go to my brother, or they call, they cook with his wife, and and, and they they call me, and it it just I like the the, the fact of like not eating alone, but in groups, cause I grew up with that, and coming here, and uh, so that was one thing that was a big change to mm -hmm. having to sometimes eat alone, yeah. or in, over a few days eat alone, but it. It's just uh, just so so many feelings having like a group of people being around the food and talking and just so much joy to to do that. 
Food with friends is you, profoundly hopeful. You, you, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, that's one of the things like I most look forward to in the week is yeah. my girlfriends and I usually always get together at some point, whether we go to a brewery or get food. And like, yeah. um, we always do this thing where it might sound kind of cheesy, but we want to make sure, you know, everyone talks and everyone speaks. So we go around and we say like the highlights of our week or yeah, like yeah, what's yeah. going well or what's mm-hmm. hard. And then we'll just focus on that one person and talk and yeah. just kind of go around the table. Um, you know, and then it ends up us being together two or three hours because we just really yeah, take yeah. the time on each person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even this afternoon, I'm going to Lolo Brewery with some of my friends to do that because um, we were like, we don't want to see anyone, so we're going to go to Lolo yeah, so yeah. we can have that time. But, man, that really, really is a connecting thing. Yeah. Yeah. Food's, a, food's a good thing. Um, like, uh, here in Missoula, we have um, a pretty nice um, group of bears that are Gay men, they kind of look like me. They're uh, a little soft around the edges and, and fuzzy. And, um, just a really wonderful group of guys. Um, and um, we try to do a potluck, um, you know, every, like, once a month or once every couple months, um, just to kind of renew that co- sense of community. And so, you know, we'll pick a theme. Everybody brings something in. Um, we usually uh, do it over at my friend Eric's house. Um, and, and, well, his, his roommates, may, uh, she owns the place, and so she's been wonderful to let us all come in um and you know we've done um christmas we do like a secret santa kind of thing or we'll do um like a white elephant so everybody just gets a gift um and um just a chance to um you know share Mm -hmm. and it just creates that community it creates that family it and you know eating and talking and playing games and goofing around and laughing, yeah. laughing <laughs> together, I think, is probably one of the most profound things when you just step back and just enjoy mm-hmm. that moment of just looking at each other mm-hmm. and smiling and laughing. And, you know, whether you're being, you know, you have that moment of being stupid or, you know, whatever, just be doing that together is really, really cool. Yeah. Exactly. Well, kind of um, to wrap it up. Is hope important? Do you think hope is an important thing for people to feel, to think about? Is it important to you? Um, what value does hope have in general? And is it something that people should experience being hopeful? God, yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think um, from my, my history and my background, um, Finding hope meant finding the ability to live um, is awesome. Um, I hope everyone has a chance to feel hope and find whatever they need to help continue that feeling. Mm -hmm. So there's a theological concept known as theodicy. And it's a discussion about how can God who is conceived as being both all-powerful and all-good, allow evil to happen in the world. Mm-hmm. White theologians and white Christians and members of other religious communities who hold that conception of God have struggled over what that means. I've been struck how theologians emerging from the black community, and I would say in many cases many parts of the African-American community as a whole have said that's not really a helpful dilemma to explore. The dilemma is set aside by those theologians by simply saying 
when we are faced with horrific events, those that have unfolded in the past, those that unfold even today, the question is not, how does God let that happen? The question is, how can we bring hope to that situation by being God's hands? And I think they've arrived at a very profound truth about hope, that hope emerges where human action meets human need. And I think our world needs more of those two being brought together. And that's the end of it. Here's some post-conversation thoughts from our Story Talk stars. The thing that struck me the most was how connected I felt. And the fact that there were like three times that I almost started crying. Um, Because that's like, I don't, that's not something that I tend to do. So like where I'm like waving my arm, like I'm fine. This is a great opportunity to sit down and also hear about uh, different ways we see see hope. Talk about how we were able to arrive at a very a level of int- intimacy, a level of sharing that you don't get in very many other settings. Stay tuned for a preview of our next episode. And make sure you subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It really helps more people find us. Story Talk is produced by Rebecca Collins, Harris Rosendahl, Joel Weltzine, William C. Riley, Kimberly Lamar, Kat Brandos, and Bree Zender. This podcast is in association with the Global Leadership Initiative at the University of Montana. Our faculty advisor is Tobin Miller-Shear. Special thanks to Student Affairs IT and the UM School of Journalism for our audio equipment. Music is produced by Tyler Twombly and Poddington Bear. Thanks for listening. Next time on Story Talk, the deceit episode. I remember this sense of foreshadowing, like something was going going wrong. Something was going wrong. Like I remember sitting on this table and the two girls were sitting next to me and both of them had their hands on my leg, on a respective leg. And I thought, oh no. This is, I remember looking down into my drink and I was thinking, it's all going downhill. The boy ended up, when I finally entered the scene, he had got a hose hooked up from outside through the window and was chasing her down the hall with a garden hose in the house. And I thought, so when we put a stop to that, we asked, which one of you started this? Catch that next time on Story Talk, the conversation you've never heard. <laughs>